Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome. Sit, do sit down. It's a very beefy talk sport podcast or something being done in the next studio, isn't it? All oh, they're laughing. Bants. It's bants. It's man bants. Bants all the way. Mm. We cannot dream of such things. Mm. Um, I think we've had enough emails about Sue Barton, but thank you. Because I, I, I wondered whether I was just fantasising about the whole thing. Uh, but lots of people read Sue Barton. Uh, she was a nurse, you know. Uh, and uh, some people, an amazing number of people, then went on to have nursing careers on the strength of it. And then many of you didn't. Decided, in fact, that reading about Sue Barton was quite enough nursing and you certainly didn't want to become a nurse. Yeah. But anyway, thank you very much. Um, I love this book recommendation from a listener who says uh, that she wants us to talk about this book, Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. It's about the relationship between an aquarium cleaner and a Pacific Coast octopus. I saw that. It's very atmospheric. Read the Pacific Northwest Coast. Well, I bet it is. I'm sure it is, but... Is it just me? Well, uh, have you watched the fantastic Octopus Teacher? Is it called The Octopus Teacher on Netflix? I've heard about it. A really amazing documentary about the diver. It's somewhere off the coast of South Africa who makes friends with an octopus. And I thought at the beginning, I was a little bit cynical, Mm. it was about whether or not I'd stick all the way through. Uh, It was unswitch-offable, deeply moving, and I won't eat another octopus or squid again either. Because the emotional intelligence, there there was just something there. There was something there, okay. And the kind of devotion that the octopus developed towards the diver was oh. just really beautiful and spooky. And and you also kind of think, well, of course we've just not ever seen that before, have we? Because you haven't had the technology to film something like that. So I'd happily give that a go, but I think actually we have chosen something different, okay. haven't we? Yes. I'm not quite sure on what criteria, but... Thank you for that suggestion. Yeah, I think thank you, you should just read that in your own time, No, actually, Jane. I'm sorry. I feel somewhat chastened and I will certainly and look it up. Come back and let us never, know. I've never eaten squid, really, or octopus. So. Have you not? Do you not like them? Knowingly, I don't think I, I'm not drawn to it. Oh, OK. Mm, I think twice about a prawn. What happens when you're uh, on your Shirley Valentine holidays? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Well, I've got one of those coming up. It's, isn't it lovely when you, the turn of the year and you suddenly you suddenly get an invitation, something pops into oh, your inbox. Be lovely, you could book a cheap yeah. flight. You book a cheap flight. Yes, yeah. not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> and and find yourself basking like a great big whale by the sea. But do you not have a a little bit of fresh octopus? When you, I like to picture you no, at the end I of don't. at the end of the jetty, being served by that handsome hirsute man. <laughs> Which leg of the octopus would you like, madam? I'll have number six. No, you're speaking to someone who spent a long time yesterday afternoon making Nigella's vegan bolognese, which I think is on the menu at home tonight. And actually, in fairness, Nigella, she is worth she's worth it, isn't she? In every way. Yeah, it can be a faff, but my goodness. Because uh, vegan bolognese, you know, it's it doesn't always hit the spot, and probably just me, but I, I really followed everything that she suggested in the recipe. So is she using off. a minced corn? Uh, no, it was just lentils, but three different sort of lentils. Okay. <laughs> Green, red, and I never quite know how to say the other ones. P-U-I. Pui. Yeah. yeah, okay, pui. Yeah. yeah, and have you got a great big dollop of like a miso or an umami um, or something? Well, it, the old porcini mushrooms, okay. and then you pour over the hot water and leave them to steep. So they're doing the heavy lifting, aren't they? I mean, I barely got a wink. I was up half the night doing that for um, this evening's dinner. Well, I hope you enjoy it. Thank uh, you. I always think with bolognese, um, it's just you can you can you can down quite a large mound of bolognese in about three twirls, can't you? You can, and oh, yes, you're absolutely right to point to that because it's a meal that can be quite faffy to make, but is gone in an instant and not much discussed. Can you put a timer on it tonight? Because genuinely, I'd be interested. I think you can probably do it in ninety seconds. Obviously, the flow of conversation at our dinner table every evening. We're there for hours. Are you? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, can I just start with a very funny one, and then uh, will you do your porn one? Because you've uh, well. It's not porn, really. You've cropped up in somebody's dream. Thank you. Sorry. Press on. Uh, this one comes from Angela, uh, who says, a bit delayed, catching up in the new year, apologies, nothing to apologise for. Uh, it might surprise you to know, Angela, but we don't know when you listen to the no. podcast. <laughs> you don't have to apologise. We're not tracking you. Not. Who do you think we are? The post office? <laughs> don't make a joke about that. There's no. nothing funny there. Uh, regarding the conversations about the weight of boobs, I remember the following, which took place several years ago in Jersey, the Channel Islands, and thank you for pointing that out. It was, I think, reported in the national press. At this time, all fruit and vegetables were weighed at the checkout counter. Following weekly supermarket visits in Jersey, people were becoming increasingly concerned about the price of the fruit and vegetables they'd bought. You're doing that very noisily. I'm so sorry. Yes, I am listening. Yeah, yeah. Just do one of those TV shuffle papers sorry. where they don't make any noise at I all. I haven't been on that course. And then do one of those things where they write lots of things. Yeah, you do wonder paper. what they're writing, don't you? They're not writing anything, no. they? Back to the story. Uh, they were shown on their receipts as costing much more than advertised. This was reported to the supermarket manager and following a thorough investigation, it was found that one of the ladies who was working at the checkout and was rather well endowed was mistakenly leaning over when putting the fruit and vegetables on the scales. As a result, her boobs were also being weighed at the same time, thus adding considerable weight to the fruit and vegetables and increasing the price. Still laughing about it now. And Angela, so are we. <laughs> it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be that funny. It should, but it is. Probably quite easily done. <laughs> Rain them in, everybody. Yeah. Rain them in. Uh, Minimise a bra if you're working at a checkout, please. 
Yes, uh, yes, it, it is. Yes, it's a good idea. And also, by the way, I did not mean in any way to be um, dismissive of the post office thing because that's just bloody awful. And to people listening outside the UK, this has been an unfolding saga over the course of a couple of decades, actually, hasn't it? But just to very briefly explain it, it's, it's now being widely regarded as the biggest miscarriage of justice in British history. And loosely speaking, it's about a group of people, sub-post mistresses and masters, who run uh, quite small businesses but little post offices, relatively speaking, not the huge mega ones. And uh, they were accused wrongly of nicking money, basically, from from the post office. And there have been some quite sinister elements of this story, haven't there? Hugely, because it's turned out that there was a glitch in the system. It's called the Horizon system, which is a computer system made by Fujitsu. Mm. And there are some amazingly serious allegations being investigated, so we can't say too much no. about them, uh, about the kind of practice that was involved on both sides with the post office and Fujitsu uh, regarding who they chose to believe mm. and also the rigour that they examined their own computer system with. Yeah. And I don't think we can really say much more we than that. We can't really, but suffice to say, it's it's come to the fore. I mean, it should have been in the fore of all of our minds for many, many years because of a, a series on ITV over the last week about a dramatisation about this episode. Isn't it interesting that if they'd done it as a documentary, it wouldn't have got anything like the traction? No, I agree. And also, I think if they'd done it not so well, it wouldn't have mm. got the traction. But it's because it's a remarkably, I think, well-scripted programme yeah. where people are saying real things mm. in a kind of real tone. The acting is superb. Um, Toby Jones is cast in the lead role. And I think he's he's one of those actors who is brilliant at eliciting empathy from the viewer without milking it, if yeah. you see what I mean. Uh, so I think it's because the drama is so good and so watchable that people have really, really, really keyed into it. And all hail ITV for doing it. Yes, I don't know why the BBC didn't, to be honest. There's a well, bit of a mystery there. Maybe you could ask your friend. Do you, do you have a friend at the BBC? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> okay. I seem to have burnt bridges there. <laughs> why don't you write to feedback or maybe points of view? <laughs> I will do. I stood behind Toby Jones once in the queue at Pret at Paddington Station. Uh, that's my link showbiz link to him that's lovely yes um, I just want to mention this listener Caroline who says uh, I had to have my 17 and a half year old cat put to sleep on New Year's Day and this is sad she, uh, Bentley had been um, Caroline's constant companion uh, never let her down by her side always and uh, they used Bentley and Caroline used to sit in the garden together listening to our podcast and um, she says you've always cheered me up when things were tough and I know you won't let me down now. Oh, gosh, well, we're going to try not to let you down, Caroline. But, you know, before I became a cat owner, I might have dismissed that email and just thought, well, for heaven's sake. But I absolutely don't now. And I'm very sorry that Bentley is no longer with you. Um, that must be tough. And, you know, sadness in terms of pets, it's inevitable, isn't it? Because they don't they don't live as long as we do and they're going to go at some point. But it does sound like um, that particular cat, Bentley, had a... Pretty good innings. And we send love. I think it's just a horrible time of year to lose a pet. Yeah, it's rotten. Because yeah. you want to be, you know, you want you want the those dark nights to be accompanied by a nice loud purr. Now here's something fruity from Bina. I felt compelled to email following a very lucid dream I had the other night about Jane. Now steady yourself against something firm, everybody, and don't read too much into that. No, sorry, Fee, you didn't feature. That's all right. Mm. But please don't get in touch 
with dreams I have featured in. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested in those okay. either. They're just featuring me. Couldn't care less. Um, Jane and I were having a good old snog. You no, are horrible. No tongues, but very passionate. <laughs> oh. But we were thwarted on several occasions. This was down to the fact that we were on a drive-through safari. <laughs> What do you do? Get to the barrier and order two leopards and a giraffe? <laughs> for some reason, we decided to do this on foot. The lions in particular were keen to interfere with our smooching. Don't know I haven't previously thought about Jane in this way. Why not, Bina? <laughs> and I'm not sure what triggered this. I am on HRT. Oh, well, that can do it. <laughs> this is good. I'm on HRT and the weeks with the progesterone do give me some very interesting dreams. Um, now, this is interesting because I've had the most fabulous dreams since I've been on HRT, and I do think there's something in that. I really do, so I'd be interested in more of this sort of stuff. Ever since this dream, I've been thinking about Jane rather differently. If you have a free moment next time you're in the Liverpool area, do you want to go to Nosley Safari Park? I'll pay. Uh, there's a documentary series about Nosley on at the moment, isn't there? Uh, I think it's on Channel 4. Apparently it's very good. It's a good safari park, that. Um, if you're interested in looks, and that helps in your decision, says Bina, I've been told that on the very best day, I have a slight look of Halle Berry on her very worst day. <laughs> Who told you that? That's a, that's a really... Un- isn't that quite an unpleasant thing to say? Well, I no, I don't think it I is. I bet you're gorgeous. Because I think Hayley Berry, even on her worst day, is is going to be gobsmackingly beautiful. Yeah, well... So I think you could do worse, Jane. I'd head off there. Do you want to leave now? Um, well, I, I'm, I, I am in the Liverpool area very soon, mm. So, but I've got a lot to squeeze in. Have you? Whether I could really take a detour to the safari park with Beena, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm listen, I'm flattered. I had an extremely clear dream uh, the other day that Britney Spears had entered the US presidential race. Oh. And my overriding feeling was one of profound relief, because at least now people had someone sensible to vote for. Isn't that that's, that's saying something? That it really is. Yeah. Anyway, but I think you're onto something with the change in hormones and, and dreams. The dreams. Yeah, I do. I do because too. some of those incredibly vivid dreams—they're just at a different volume, aren't they? To oh, dreams before the the Technicolor is ratcheted up. Yeah, and the most extraordinary things start to happen. Yes, yes. I've had some really good ones. I've had some very frightening dreams as well. Some sort of yeah, really quite quite violent and unsettling stuff. Yeah. Anyway, happy days. <laughs> right, okay. But, you know, be a little bit careful about repeating too many of your dreams, yeah. if that's okay. Uh, Glyn has got a piece of advice for us regarding ghosts. When you get dressed each morning, it's worth bearing in mind that whatever you choose to wear that day might be what your ghost ends up having to wear forever. It really Ooh. makes me think I should make more of an effort some days. Best wishes as ever. Well, Glenn, that is something to think about. And you're absolutely right. I don't think I'd want to be trapped in what I'm wearing today forevermore. It's, I've got a bit of a Monday outfit on today. You look very smart. Um, I, I hadn't given this any thought, but Glenn's on to something. Yeah, you really are. Because ghosts are always dressed, aren't they? They are. There. Well. No, they are. You never get a naked ghost. I ha- have you ever heard anybody tell about seeing a naked ghost. That's such a good point. No. Mm. There no. we are. And also ghosts, they never... I mean, we've done this before. They they never come from 1975. They're always from the 17th century. But also they just never... They're never carrying a handbag. or any, They're never doing anything sensible, are they? No, I shall keep my bag very close to me in the afterlife. <laughs> I think you should. Well, because there's all sorts of kit in there, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Um, oh, we've got somebody with a chance encounter with Simon Le Bon. Have you seen that one? <laughs> I 
go for it. But let's just do trolleys first of all. Camilla says, I definitely think men see supermarket trolleys as substitute cars. On the few occasions that we shop together, my husband criticises my trolley driving skills and says I can't push in a straight line. He therefore prefers to push it himself, just like he insists on being the driver when we go out together in the car. However, he has what he thinks is a hilarious trolley anecdote. Once, when doing the supermarket shop on his own, he mistakenly took off with somebody else's full trolley in the middle of the store. He only realised several aisles later, and rather than return the trolley, he just left it there. He went back, blithely collected the right trolley, and steadfastly ignored the person who was wandering around, asking in a confused tone, Where's my trolley? I've got no idea whether the poor person ever found their trolley, or whether they had to start their whole shop again. I realise my husband might sound rather doddery, but actually, at the time of the incident, he was about 25. Oh, it's not free. I mean, actually, I don't know your husband, Camilla, but I do think he could have done a bit better there. I think it's very poor and not very British not to reunite a full trolley with its real owner. Yes. It's like the people who don't take their trolley back to Trolley Bay. No, they're the worst sort of individual. Well, there used to be a £1 impetus to do that, didn't there? Yeah, quite there a lot of the supermarkets have just ditched that. Abandoned that now. Because nobody's got a quid. No, nobody has a quid. But um, I just think you're a very poor quality of individual if you leave your trolley just marooned in the car park. Take it back. It's only a couple of seconds out of your life. It's, the, it's the thin end of the antisocial wedge, well, isn't it, it? Actually, sister, you're right. Yeah. Am I getting older, do you think? No, not at all, darling. You don't look a day over 60. Uh, Roz uh, says, I've been a loyal listener for many years now. Well done, you. Just to say, Fraser's producer was called Roz. And you're absolutely right. What a terrible mistake to make because Daphne uh, was the housekeeper forward slash friend who ended up marrying Niles, wasn't she? Daphne was the English one, wasn't yes, she? Yes, yeah. yeah. So Ros is a producer, so I'm very sorry about that. Uh, and this one comes from Camilla, who says, on the subject of Christmas TV, I just wondered what you thought of Mr Bates and the post office. I'm only halfway through, but the acting is brilliant. I'm both gripped and horrified. It makes me not want to use the post office ever again. And I think you are right that uh, Mr Bates and the post office, for me, has been the best thing that I've seen on television. Over mm. the festive period, uh, apart from obviously the weakest link, Jane, which you're now seamlessly going to mention. What was it like appearing on television's hit quiz show, The Weakest Link? Thank you. And I'm mentioning it because it's up on the iPlayer now. If you want to go and look at it, it's then a, you can. It's you a can, spectacle. You can laugh away, and it won't take too much of your time either. If you didn't want to watch it all the, the way through, You'd be okay. And just the tiny, vaguely interesting point about it, Jane, and stay with it. Come on, nod. Not yeah, as I'm if nodding, you're I'm nodding, I'm nodding, yeah. I'm nodding. Uh, so, so I went on The Weakest Link. I thought people would ridicule me because I got the answer to something which lots of people well, seem just, to think is very obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious to me. I didn't know the answer. Well, that's kind of you, sister. No, what, what was the question? Well, the question was, which is the Nirvana album with the baby? Yeah, swimming underneath. I've had a clue. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I went out on on that thing, and so I was a bit embarrassed about. Did that you get a question right though? I got about four right before oh, that. But right. no, no, I went out very early on. But nobody gives a, a monkeys. People just want to know where your clothes are from. That's all. That's all that mm. happened. Is where's your top from? And actually, I've had the top for about twenty years. So I can't honestly remember. Mm. Uh, but anyway, can I just say that if I had one, I would have been playing for Adfam, which is a tiny charity that just does amazing work supporting 
families affected by addiction. They are absolutely lovely, and I'm sad not to have won the money for them because right. that's it was you know it was a charity thing. So that does, we were oh, does doing. it does it feel pressure then? Additional pressure. Well, it would be nice, wouldn't it, mm. to be able to win a stonking amount of money and also to give them a big plug. So I'm just trying to give You're them a big the plug. plug here. Well, that's good. How? Same. What is the potential amount you can win? Oh gosh, I think you can win up to about about twenty thousand pounds. Really? I mean, it's a lot. Okay. Yeah, and I don't want to give it away who won, but he was uh, he was very tall. Mm. He's the tallest bloke there. Well, just in case you're watching, annoying bloke and tall. Yeah, and he won. Yeah, there was quite a funny moment when we went on to the set because it's a huge, shiny floor set and you've got all of these podiums with your first do name. They, do they film it in Hollywood? On it. Well, <laughs> no, they filmed it in Salford. No, Salford? No, oh. Glasgow. Oh, I Glasgow. can't remember, actually. <laughs> right. Just, I went somewhere for a night. God. Was it Glasgow? Might have been. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, so when we all lined up behind the podiums... Yes. Did you have a special? They, they, had to, they had to shut down the lights and rearrange the set because I was standing next to the very tall bloke and they said that they just couldn't do the camera thing. It would have to bob down too far when it got to me. And even after they'd changed it so I could stand next to somebody of median height, yeah. they then brought along a little kind of standy-uppy stool you know, like the one that you might use in your kitchen when you needed to reach the spices on the top shelf. Well, this, that's me almost every yeah. time I need a spice. So I had yeah. to stand on a little thing uh, and I couldn't stand next to the very tall bloke. So it was in no way humiliating. Oh, Jen. no, no, it doesn't sound it. <laughs> Not, none of it. But it's really fine. <laughs> it would all have been completely worth it had you raised the money for AdFam. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, the charity. Well, I'm sorry about that, but you were a good sport for doing it. Uh, when are you going on? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not you, going on anything. No, because you were going to do uh, Squeaky Chair, weren't you? Celebrity Mastermind. Yeah, I got out of that. Why Can't didn't remember. you want to do that? I think I said Pandemic. Okay. What would your specialist subject have been? It was going to be um, Liverpool Football Club. Oh, which would have been pretty good. Well, that would have been fine, actually, I think. Although that's one of those subjects where you can appear a prat quite easily. You know, you overrate your knowledge and then they'll ask you something and, and then all the Liverpool fans will think, well, she doesn't know what, she, she doesn't know what she's on about there. Um, so I think I'd have been better doing smash hits 1978 to... 1979. Yeah, probably. Yes. And actually quite a lot of people do choose that, don't they? Well, they they choose, you know... Very narrow areas. Harry Potter, chapter four (laughs) of the third (laughs) book. Yes. Which is my favourite. I haven't read a word of Harry Potter, I'm sorry to say. No, I didn't really get on with it myself, but my kids loved it, so... Okay, uh, this one is anonymous, uh... As a child of divorced parents, uh, this is because we were talking about blended families and having Christmas dinner about seven times, mm. and this really hit home for our correspondent. As a child of divorced parents, we would often spend Christmas and the Twixmas days on the M25, shuttling between relatives for another turkey-blinking dinner. And as an adult, I've always campaigned for an alternative. However, my husband is from a traditional nuclear family and has always found this suggestion to be very challenging. This year was going to be different. Our son's first Christmas, he's nearly one. I wanted 
to have Christmas Day at home, which we did, with my in-laws who insisted on buying the turkey. We then spent the next week away from home visiting all of the other family members who were desperate to see our son and eating cold cuts. Ah, well, maybe next year. Uh, maybe next year, but I think you've got to actually draw a line in the sand there. Yes. You've got to mark out some territory because otherwise you're going to end up, even though you've married somebody who's from a nuclear family, mm. you didn't have to do lots of dashing around. Mm. You're going to relive your childhood when you shouldn't be. You should be able to just stay in one place I with mean, your own child. The first child, uh, and the child is very young, I won't remember that Christmas anyway. So no. I guess the key ones are the ones that the child will, will be able to recall. Yeah, um, I think it's one of the hardest things to it do, is hard. actually, yeah. is to negotiate that who's going where and to whom. Yeah. And, and right at the beginning of a relationship or when you have kids, mm. you know, to, to kind of say, this is, you know, I need this bit and yeah. you're going to need this bit. And this is how we're going to do it because mm. there are suddenly so many people you can yeah. offend. It, it gets terrifically complicated. But listen, we're months away from worrying about Christmas 2024. <laughs> well, in my case, we're a couple of weeks away from starting to worry about it. Um, I promised you Simon Le Bon, so here he is. Uh, back in 2010, says Jackie, I was on a family trip to Rome with my husband and then 10-year-old son. We were staying in a hotel out of town that had a shuttle to the centre. As we got back to the hotel, we got out as another family were getting in. I was convinced it was Simon and Yasmin Le Bon. My husband wasn't sure. Later in the evening, I decided to invent a need to go down to the bar early for dinner while the boys got themselves ready. To my delight, Mr Simon Le Bon was sitting by himself at the bar. So I braced myself and seized the opportunity to go up and speak to him. He was lovely. Although clearly not hugely delighted to be interrupted in his moment of quiet contemplation. After the initial niceties, I then went full-on fangirl and just blurted out, I've been in love with you for 30 years. This not only served to make us both feel incredibly old, but cut our conversation short. If looks could kill, she says. And five years later, Jackie flew to St Lucia for a New Year holiday. She's got quite the life, hasn't she? And who should step off the plane with us, but only Simon Le Bon in a neo neon green shell suit. I don't think he'd recognise me. Or maybe he's just been stalking me ever since Rome. <laughs> I think you're putting an optimistic spin on that, Jackie. Um, but uh, I'm glad he was initially rather nice. But then it got a bit shaky after she'd mentioned the 30 years, because that's... Um, it is a long time. I mean, I um, I hold a little bit of a what's-it for him, having seen uh, Duran Duran live at the Birmingham Odeon in 1982. And they were so in their pomp. And it was, without question, one of the best nights of my life. Mm. And it is difficult, isn't it, when um, when you've had that kind of uh, fan frisson yeah. with somebody uh, to know what you would say to them in real life? I don't know. Well, I've no idea what I'd say if I met Simon now. Do you know Jackie, I'd say? That woman who's been following you around, or have you been following her? Yeah. I, the thing that I take from that email, actually, is how unwise and uncomfortable it would be to travel to St Lucia in a neon shell suit. I mean, that would be sweaty. Yeah, but not when you're Simon. I don't It'd imagine he's sweaty. crinkly. He went, no, 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 no. He's a bonbon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. 
only from rustolium it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. We are going to announce the book club book in the podcast tomorrow. Thank you so much for all of your suggestions. And uh, Chris Metcalf has emailed in to say that we'd mentioned a book which sounded very good. It's by Helen Thurston. Mm -hmm. And she thought, it may be a he, Chris, apologies if it is, um, I said... That I that that she'd written other ones called procedurals, but they're not actually called procedurals. No. They're in the procedural police drama genre. Right. So the book that we were talking about, which has gone into the pile for the book club suggestions, is An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good, which I think is actually a book that's not in the same series as all of her others. But that's gone into the pile and we will announce what the book club book is tomorrow. Okay. Now, the interview that we're going to play out in this edition of Off Air is with a man called Dan Reed. He is the executive producer of a documentary that went out on Channel 4 in the UK last night, but you can now access it on all four. Um, and it is called I Am Andrew Tate. And if you're thinking, well, I don't I don't want to know anything about Andrew Tate, I'm not interested, I think he's awful, um, I, I, he is pretty awful. Well, he's more than a bit awful, he's terrible. Uh, but this documentary does attempt to tell his backstory. And if, like me, you knew of him but had chosen to avoid him, it's a valuable lesson in just how deeply offensive he is, but also how odd he is how peculiar and indeed at times how pathetic and vulnerable he is. I mean, if you don't know anything about him, he's a hugely successful influencer, uh, particularly popular with young men, in fact, boys really, rather than young men, Um, perhaps both, to be fair. And what is important is that it doesn't actually matter at all that I think he's an idiot. Um, It's totally irrelevant what I think. He may well be um, having all sorts of an influence on younger members of your own household. Um, So I'm not saying you shouldn't watch the documentary, uh, but listen to Dan, first of all, before you decide whether you're going to watch it or not. Um, So Andrew Tate, uh, he's this man who mixes really quite unpleasant misogyny with a sort of cod psychology and some get-rich-quick schemes, which he's been very successful at, in all fairness. He uh, smokes cigars, or at least claims to. He often appears topless or in a silky dressing gown, and he speaks in quite a strange mid-Atlantic accent, Um, He refers to women as chicks and men are usually dudes. He really would be funny if he wasn't so successful at what he does and if he wasn't so good at reaching his young audiences. Now, there are also, we should say, serious allegations of sexual assault and trafficking against him. Uh, These allegations are things that he denies. Andrew Tate and his brother Tristan are now based in Romania. 
Dan Reed is the executive producer of this film and it went out last night, as I said, on Channel 4. It wasn't quite the film they'd planned to make. It wasn't quite. I think we ended up with something a bit more interesting, luckily. But the original programme was full access, all areas, you know, Tate's life, behind the scenes. Nothing that we couldn't film, no question we couldn't ask him, apart from the one condition that we couldn't film his screens, his phone and his laptop screens. So that always left me wondering what he was doing on his screens. It was fair enough. So we agreed on those conditions. And then he um, he was arrested back in uh, at the very end of uh, 2022. And so we lost our subject. And But he'd recorded so much content over the years and been so brutally frank about who he was and what he was doing and his attitudes to women and his job as a webcam pimp, um, which is how he described it, uh, that we, we suddenly we came across so much amazing material. Have you met him? Yes. So we went to Dubai really just to uh, look him in the eye and say, look, mate, <laughs> you do know this isn't going to be a puff piece, don't you? We're not just going to go and film you buying expensive jewellery and driving nice cars. This is going to be a proper no-holds-barred look into your life. And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. He was, he was staying in a villa in Dubai, big, very big empty villa, just the Bugatti in the driveway and, um, and just empty and it sort of felt a bit sad, really. Didn't really envy his lifestyle. You've been quoted as saying he he just came across as as a bit a bit vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. You sort of, I mean, vulnerable isn't the word. The first word you associate with Andrew Tate is it? But, but yeah, just a, a, a bit sort of um, a bit sort of lo, lo, lost boys rattling around a, par- a palace. You know, you sort of wondered why they weren't didn't seem to be enjoying their situation more. A, a lot of his propaganda online is about the lifestyle, the cars, the cigars, the women, the this, the that. And, Actually, there didn't seem to be much pleasure going on. But you know, maybe I caught him at the wrong time. I don't know. And then after after Marguerite, the director, and I met him in Dubai, she filmed with him for a day. Um, but beyond that, you know, he just disappeared. So what we learn from the film is that he was born in the United States. Father is American, mother British, and the, the parents' relationship broke up. He came to live on the Marsh Farm estate in Luton with his brother Tristan mm. and his British mother. And um, what happened at school? Do we know anything about his school days? Uh, we don't know a huge amount. I mean, he seems to have um, his, you know, we, we're, we're very reliant on Andrew Tate's past recordings to give us a sort of biographical picture. So there are obviously huge chunks missing, um, but enough, I think, to make it interesting and meaningful. Um, his school days, um, you know, I think he was a sort of quiet kid at school um, and he didn't start kickboxing until he was in his late teens. Um, and... You know, the one thing that stuck out for me is he's walking home with a bunch of his mates and they see a, a Ferrari drive past him. And Tate says, and that made me feel so angry. And I looked around at my, my friends and said, does that make you feel angry? And they were like, Ugh. so clearly early on, he had this incredible drive to, to get money, to achieve, to be seen in, a, in an expensive sports car, for, for lack of a better phrase. But uh, that's certainly an ambition he's fulfilled. Yeah, um, his dad played chess, and uh, he, in the course of your docu- documentary, says he his father was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. Um, mm. Tate himself, Andrew Tate, says he doesn't have it. Although, uh, I think anyone who'd watched this documentary might doubt <laughs> that. Yeah, I mean, we we all had a chuckle when we saw that clip because uh, 
because yeah because like you know and anyone who's got that disorder he says is thinks they're absolutely invincible and and that really is i think how or certainly how tate comes across he puts across this image of invincibility you know his drive to to be admired to be loved to be worshipped is very very strong uh, and so you wonder what it's like being andrew tate on the days when he's not being uh, the most googled man um, probably quite a lonely place, but that's just my speculation. I, I could um, go on at some length about how ridiculous I find him, but it, mm. as it is actually utterly irrelevant what I think of him. <laughs> the, the real question is, why does he find an audience? What What's your answer to that? Well, he finds an audience both because, you know, for the well-known reasons that a lot of outrageous people online find an audience is because... The because social media and the way content is boosted favors outrage, favors controversy, and favors people saying shocking things. And he learned that very quickly. Um, and he's brilliant at boosting and optimizing his reach. Um, second thing is, I think you know, and people have said a lot, talked a lot about this is, is young men maybe growing up now, you know, they have it's not really clear what it means to be to be a man, to be a young man, who are your role models? What are you, what are you supposed to be like? You know, the whole idea, there are new ideas about gender um, and people, the Me Too movement, I think had a big impact. So um, I think maybe young men feel hemmed in, um, feel a bit lost. Uh, and unfortunately, some of the, particularly the very, very young ones, we're talking about, you know, 11, 12, 13 year old boys, see Tate as this sort of larger-than-life uh, exemplar of what a masculine man should be, uh, which is kind of terrifying because, in fact, you know, if you look at his life story, such as we tell it in the documentary, it's uh, this is not someone that you want your little boys to emulate. Would he have had a message for you when you were growing up? Gosh, I, I don't think so, because I was a bit of a weird kid <laughs> growing up, and I didn't really, uh, didn't really sort of do the whole fancy cars and, um, you know, enhanced women, um, cigars and all that didn't mean anything to me. I think w where Tate is brilliant is he's very funny, intentionally or not, but he's just very funny. You know, on the production team, we've been sort of quoting the, some of his lines that just have become sort of embedded in our Well, OK, our everyday. Uh, yeah, I must admit, I wouldn't have said funny. So so give me an example. Well, the, the whole, you know, like the, 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 the best known line is, is, you know, some people say they don't like, my Bugatti, because it's a, yeah, like an orange Bugatti. And, and he goes, and I asked them, what colour is your Bugatti? And so what colour is your Bugatti becomes this sort of catchphrase. But, um, you know, that sort of infects everyday, everyday conversation. And maybe you don't find that funny. It, it is, it is, he is good at the quips. He's incredibly confident. So yeah, he's, he's shouting and ranting all the time. So he's this large, people like the, you know, the internet, on, on social media suit these people who are sort of have no flicker of doubt in their eyes like you know president trump is an obvious one alex jones who i'm also making a film about they're very rarely female they are very rarely female so that 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 is another thing about tate is that you know he leverages all the all you know in a completely spurious way i think all the qualities all the, the appearance of male qualities i don't think he is an honest man uh, he told us when you're in dubai you know the when when I shoot these scenes on my yacht with all the girls dancing and we're having a great party, what it, what that really is is sort of four minutes of you know someone holding up a camera and me saying right girls that party uh, and after four minutes it's cut and get back to whatever the people are doing on our laptops. So it's it's completely contrived. It's a 
it's a it's a puff and smoke. That whole thing is lifestyle is an illusion. But it's worse than that, isn't it, Dan? I mean, he has faced uh, allegations of sexual assault in this country. I know he denies mm. them. Uh, and then he fled effectively to Romania, um, uh, saying in public that he didn't think much of the Romanian police, who have um, since, of course, uh, started <laughs> to investigate them investigate him themselves uh, which doesn't suggest he's the brain of Britain or indeed the brain of America or hadn't really thought it all through um, and he's now I under- as I understand it not under house arrest in Romania but he can't leave the country um, because he's accused there of, of trafficking and other offences Yeah that's right he, he is he's still you know facing trial apparently the Romanian authorities I think they've just given him his cars back his assets so and and also there are these these young women in the UK who are trying to mount a civil case and indeed, I think, trying to revive the criminal cases against them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- there is a really sordid, dark past from his history as a webcam pimp, coercing women, controlling, trying to control their minds. I mean, he says a lot of very unre- things I can't really repeat on here um, about his techniques for coercing women, using sex, using using strangulation. I mean, he's, he's quite open about that. Um, and see, so these are some things he's been accused of. So in, the, in a way, he's his own worst enemy. He's put a lot of stuff out there on the web that is now coming back to haunt him. So yeah. what what do you think his fate is likely to be? Gosh, he seems to be quite lucky and he's incredibly sort of persistent and he's got some money. Um, and I think, you know, let's see. I think so much hinges on whether he does actually face trial in Romania. The Romanian authorities, they seem to be struggling to put together a uh, a really strong case, or maybe it's just the inherent um, slowness of their judicial system. But it's been a year; it's been more than a year now since uh, since his arrest, and um, and you know we don't. I don't think we have a date set for a trial. So, you know, he could he could he could walk away. He could the whole thing could fall apart, and he could walk away. Um, and then he'll just count, you know his his empire is 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 part of the attention economy. He needs to get people to subscribe to his to his online courses of how to get women and how to get rich and how to you know, sell Bitcoin or, or other sort of slightly grifty stuff. Um, but yeah, he'll, you know, he's 37. He'll carry on at least until his mid-40s, I think, you know, amassing money. And um, he's very popular in parts of the world outside, even outside the English-speaking world, probably in the Middle East, in popular places. You know, well, but, yeah, but, um, uh, he has yeah. converted to Islam, hasn't he? Supposedly. I mean, I find that sort of hard to believe given his fondness for alcohol and cigars and, and um yeah and, and his weird propensity for being topless yeah he's we're like mate put your put your shirt on it's all right you put your shirt on um topless and he goes around topless and with his little skimpy little little shorts which is hilarious <laughs> i think you know a lot of i remember chatting to him by the poolside in dubai and he was stacking all this sort of stuff like anti-vax have u.s electrical stolen various other sort of staples of the alt right, and but there was a little bit of a sort of twinkle in his eye. But part of him is very conscious. I think part of him is sort of manic and really sort of believes in in all the stuff he's spouting. And part part of him, he's not stupid at all. Part of him knows that it's just this is what you say if you want to get attention and make people mad, make people angry, outraged. You know, so I think there's a very sort of cold deliberate manipulation yeah. of the media message. And let's face it, he makes for interesting telly. I'm not going to say great telly. I mean, but should you have made the documentary? <laughs> should you be giving him the very thing he craves? Uh, well, you know, we, I don't think we gave him the attention on his terms that he usually gets when, you know, filmmakers go and encounter him face to face. I think that often sort of goes against them. 
I think what we've given people is um, the true story. We've given them a way to understand who he is and where he came from. And also very importantly, I think a lot of parents just don't understand what kind of content their kids, especially their young boys, are consuming. And I think this is a way for you know anyone over the age of 16, 17, or particularly anyone who has kids to understand who Andrew Tate is and the kind of messages that he is putting out there and that their children or their loved ones may be consuming. Dan Reed, executive producer of that documentary, which you can now see on all four. It's called I Am Andrew Tate. Um, I mean, a lot of people, there have been some reviews of, of the documentary saying, you know, why, why have you made it? Why the last thing we need is more attention for this man. Um, it really will be interesting to see what happens to Andrew Tate. Mm. Um, I think he does need more attention in mm. exactly this kind of uh, a, a place because it was the underground nature of his um, YouTube videos, his platforms, you know, his message that made him so powerful because he didn't have the scrutiny of right-minded individuals, actually. That's how he managed to corner the youth market so much because nobody, people like you and me, Mm. weren't looking at it going, geez, that's unbelievably horrible, unpleasant, degrading to women. You know, he's an idiot. So I think the more we talk about him, the better, actually. But he was so clever, Jane, because the Hustlers University, which mm. was his big thing, uh, was actually something uh, that, that wasn't all bad. The notion that you should work hard, yep. you should have some kind of a side hustle so you can earn your own money, you should dedicate yourself to quite a disciplined routine in your teenage life. All of that is a good thing. You know, what parent wouldn't essentially be saying the same thing mm. to their teenagers? And it allowed him to then send out all of his other messages from a position of credibility. I think what the film does reveal is that he is, well, I mean, Dan was not entirely certain, but his Andrew Tate's father uh, emerges as a, let's say, deeply troubled individual probably rather more than that, rather nastier than that. Uh, Certainly somebody who'd been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and it's very likely that uh, this was not a happy home. Mm. I'm I'm treading carefully here. But uh, so Andrew Tate, far from being uh, someone who is in control of his own life and in the way he does things, is actually almost certainly the victim of um, pretty unpleasant circumstances, none of which explains or in any way justifies his horrible horrible content about women the way he talks about them the just the, just the, it's just horrendous i was actually i thought i knew what to expect but actually it was worse than i imagined it would be so i just think it is if you if you have um teenagers you probably do need to make yourself aware of what this man is is pumping out there yeah uh, and if you do watch it and then you need something nice to watch afterwards the scandinavian nature program three parts is absolutely glorious most of it is just it's very beautifully shot animals and snow falling off trees right oh i'm back in the safari park with bina lovely <laughs> no tongues <laughs> well it's uh, a very odd detail Yes, I thought we probably could have done without that and I don't thank you for repeating it. Now, have a very good evening. Do wrap up warm if you're in the United Kingdom. The temperatures plunge, which is not something we're expecting in winter. Uh, yep, have a lovely evening and uh, please do make sure that you join us tomorrow because we will talk about book club. Jane and I get very excited about book club, don't we? Yes. <laughs> and I think we're about to choose a Cracker. Uh, not least because it's 184 pages long and that's a January length. I'm not going to contradict her. Agree.
You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We missed the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times And it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.